E-commerce isn't just an aspect of growing a successful wine business, it is crucial. And that's why I strongly recommend working with Offset Partners. As a proudly independent e-commerce technology and brand design company based in wine country, Offset understands the operational nuances and the customer service imperatives that distinguish a great online buying experience from a mediocre one. And that's why leading and legendary brands like Saxum, Arnott Roberts, and Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant choose Offset's proprietary commerce technology platform to power their DTC sales. If you're an allocated winery or a high-touch merchant that values an elegant, effective commerce solution for both you, your customers, and your team, reach out to the smart team at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com, to craft a better direct-to-consumer experience. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Gernot Komen of Emic Batteryberg in the Mosul on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Oh, hello. Nice. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> nice to have you here. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, you were originally working in hospitals. <laughs> no, 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 no. no, not directly. My first idea was uh, was to study medicine. And, oh, okay. And so, I started also to work in, in hospitals, but then I turned the right way in the wine business. <laughs> and it kind of started more as a hobby? Yeah, it was f first it was a hobby and then it's rising and rising and so uh, no time was left for other things. And uh, so in the beginning of the 1990s, 91, 92, I started with an internship at Dr. Lozen Binary. What was that like? Yeah, it was, was a very good time there. Uh, uh, yeah, knewing many new people there around. It was a little bit in this time at the beginning of the 90s, was, was a little bit a hot spot of the Mosul Valley. Of course, there was a very good development of the Lozen Winery with low yields and uh, and uh, yeah, very concentrated, more concentrated wine than, than most of the other producer. And yeah, it was interesting place to be there at this time. And then you uh, did some other work, uh, stages at, at other wineries, and you ended up at, at Van Valksum for about four vintages? Yeah, um, I built um, Van Valksum up together with Roman uh, from between uh, 2000, and I was there from, from the first day, so the first January of 2000, up to, uh, up to the uh, July of 2004. And that must have been a, a little bit more of a boutique operation, a little smaller scale than Dr. Lozen, in terms of the winery size. Uh, uh, when I was at Dr. Lozen, it was, was very small. It Is was, that true? Yeah, yeah. It was was only, uh, I think it was only nine and a half hectares. Oh, okay. um, And nothing like Dr. L stuff or something like this. So oh, that was, hadn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah. It was was only it was a boutique boutique winery uh, at this time, and uh, yeah. And so, what was that first experience like with Roman? He was he was a an heir to a, a brewing fortune, and he decided to reinvest in a historical uh, winery that had been neglected in more recent times, kind of similar to what you ended up doing later. Uh, how were those? How did those four vintages go along? What was that experience like? Uh, 
Yeah, it was very, uh, really uh, interesting uh, to work together because uh, uh, we were able to do new things. Uh, yeah, doing this yeah also a little bit more concentrated dry and off dry style in these years and uh, have a really really wild style uh, saris links and uh, yeah and uh, I liked uh, I like to work um, work there. So you kind of moved away from the product system around that time at Van Voxel. I'm starting to do more things under QBA. Were you influenced by other producers like maybe Heyman Loinstein or how did that that thought process come about? Yeah, it, it was definitely also influenced by by Hermann uh, Löwenstein uh, and a, f a few others, and uh, it started that that movement to to show more um, the dry and off dry stuff, and uh, also and going going a little bit back uh, in the history to the time before the mid of the sixties, where mo more of the Mosel wines are dry and off dry style. So a lot of times we think of. Uh you know, a cabinet is a spate lisa and else lisa as being the historical style, but you, you might suggest that the it was actually more of a dry style and then the, the off-dry styles kind of developed as filtration systems got uh, better, you know, about 50 years ago or so. Yeah, and all, it, uh, it's, it's, uh, filtration system uh, is one point and the other point is also fashion, What's uh, what was the development. And, and then uh, from the mid of the 60s, Uh, uh, on there was a big was a big time of sweet uh, sweet wines and uh, I'm also I'm definitely not against these sweet uh, sweet um, style wines at the Mosel definitely not but but uh, um, I think it was also very important for the development of the uh, the, uh, the region uh, to, uh, to show that there is, that it is possible to uh, have really uh, great uh, dry and off dry style wines there. Did that development uh, more recently sort of track with the timeline of global warming in the vineyards? I mean, when I think of SAR, I usually think of mm. wines that are off dry because the wines can be quite sharp uh, because it's colder there than the middle Mosel, for instance. But you made very successful wines at Van Voxel, which was in the SAR, uh, not in not in the off dry style uh, wines that I actually liked a lot. But it coincided with vintages like 2003, which was extraordinarily warm. Um, was that part of it or no yeah okay 2003 was really outstanding and you had in every um every 10 years every 20 years you have these outstanding warm vintages like uh, maybe the, the one before was uh was 59 or something like this and uh you had in every time so you cannot uh have a look on the global warming by 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 a few vintages there is definitely a change um that is definitely like this but there is also uh, i think the change uh, in the uh, vineyard work and also change with the yields and uh, um so bringing bringing down the yields uh, working more a little bit more on con concentration uh, um that was also very very important uh, for the development of the dry wines and anyway as you can see as if you have a look on other wine regions like in bordeaux it's a more concentrated style now if you like it or not uh, it's it's a mix of uh, climate change and working in the vineyards and sometimes also technology So, yeah. and and were you and Roman kind of on the same page about the the kind of wines that you wanted to make from the beginning? Was it always set out to be that way? Because you know, one of the more famous estates is Egon Mueller, and he made them more in the SAR. 
close by, and he made the more uh, off-dry style. So did you guys know from the beginning that you wanted to make dry wines? Yeah, that's, uh, that was that was the idea from, from the beginning. Anyway, um, the situation uh, of the Mosul was not so good in uh, in the uh, 2000s, and, uh, end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s. And it was very, very hard to sell uh, higher-priced Mosul wines on the German market. I see. And the German market in the high-quality level was definitely in this time, and it's also now, uh, was a dry market. Um and uh, yeah, and that's that was that was one of the main main problems. So all these famous estates uh, uh, we have uh, on the Mosul are really really on the export market. Uh, me too, also uh, here, but but um, but it is uh, for us. It was also. A, Important to change the view on the Mosul and the Saar uh, for the uh, for the German market too. So domestically, the demand was for dry wines. Yeah, in in the higher in the higher quality level. So uh, if you have a look on on the German markets, um, there is a big market of sweet wines, but that is a low price market, and high high quality uh, sweet wines um is only a very very small market on the, in germany and and so the, the big market for high quality wines is a dry market so after you worked uh, the 2003 vintage with roman uh, you struck out on your own to do vineyard consulting and you worked with knebel yeah, I work with Knebel and uh, several other smaller producers and also some international projects. And yeah, but, but Knebel was definitely the, the most important um, uh, thing to do and was very interesting experiments because it was so, uh, it is so, if you have a view from New York to this, is everything is Mosul, but it is so different from the Saar Valley uh, with these terraces and uh, it is much, much warmer. We have definitely higher alcohol levels and uh, totally other structure of wines and uh, yeah I learned uh, very much there also um, in, in this time and then did that kind of track into what you're doing now because you're working with Terrace Vineyards now um, did that that experience sort of help you out <coughs> Yeah, definitely it helps me. And um, but um, the Enkirch uh, vineyards we have now, um, uh, we are sitting, yeah, in the half of of in the heart of the middle Mosul. You can say it's really halfway between Trier and Koblenz now. But uh, uh, the vineyards uh, of Enkirch, from the style, also from uh, from yeah, from the juice style, it's. Uh, I think it's more, uh, it's closer to the to the Saar Valley uh, than than to the uh, Terrace Mosul I see, uh, I see. stuff. So um, uh, the, the vineyards holding the acidity very very fine, and and um, that's uh, that's what I also like. So the, the acidity is uh, is very 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 stable in the Enkirch vineyards. So let's talk a little bit about the estate that you're at now, Emic uh, Batteryberg, if I'm saying it correctly, which uh, is a very historical estate. It's associated with the monastery going back to medieval times uh, and then was sold to the family in about the 1495 era, something like that? Yeah, it's it's, it's one of the oldest private uh, wineries there. It, was, uh, um, it belongs uh, up to 911. It belongs to a Carolingian uh, family and uh, was then sold uh, to a monastery. So 900, 911 was the first document um, of the winery. Uh, yeah, and the family of image, which gives the winery the name, uh, 
uh, making wine from 1425 up to 1989. And uh, yeah, and then they had no children. And one day they uh, give it to another uh, buyer and he's going bankrupt in 2007 with the winery, but also with a real estate business. And yeah. So the Imic family didn't have any heirs. They ended up selling it in 89. Someone took over and then uh, did some more modernization in terms of the winery. Um, yeah, they they changed it a little bit, um, more stainless steel tank, uh, more uh, yeah, more the more the selected yeast style, cold fermentation, and uh, uh, also not bad wines, definitely um, in uh, in this time, uh, but more the modern Mosel style uh, from from this area, and. Um, yeah, and, and for, for me it's interesting to see now because because we have the the old uh, bottles in the cellar, but the wines from this area uh, tasting now older than the wines from the Imich area before. So with these more uh, con conservative uh, conservative uh, style before with a longer uh, barrel f fermenting and barrel aging uh, style as they had before. I had an '85 recently, and it was it was quite good. So yeah, I, yeah, I can yeah. testify that they do the old regime. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very good. Age. We have anyway. Um, Enkich is well known for well aging wines, and we have uh, we have um, wines uh, up to 1921 in the cellar now, which uh, showing very well. Uh, and uh, yeah, and that's that's also for for me uh, to to run around the great wines of the world. You have to show um, the possibility to age, and uh, that that wines can develop very very sta stable, very very good over a long time. Um, so if if not, it's it's it has it can be also nice, but has nothing to do with the really the, the great stuff. Uh, yeah. And one of the things that seems to lend into your hand in terms of making those kind of great wines is the fact that the vine material is quite old. Maybe we could talk a little bit about the different vineyards and the vine material that you have. Yeah, it's. Um, uh, we are working with uh, four different vineyards um, at Enkirch. So it is uh, um, Enkircher Batteriberg. So it's it's uh, the vineyard we uh, are named after, and it uh, belongs to a former owner Karl August Immich, who bombs some uh, rocks away uh, between 1841 and 1845. Um, he dynamited the rocks. Yeah, dynamite was yeah. not uh, not found in in this time, but, but it was a black maybe black black powder. I do I have no idea really. And but we name it uh, bombing cylinders, bombing batteries, and and uh, it was not not so uncommon at the Mosul. So so he was not the only one who does this. But they, they started to to make a little bit of story around maybe because it was a monopole uh, one year then and um, um, yeah and, and so that was a second uh, second name um, and uh, so the Batteriberg is the youngest vineyard in the, um, in the winery and um, but now we have also um, from the Batteriberg bottling the wines are minimum 80 years old and 100% ungrafted uh, stuff because you take the younger vines and you put them into a different bottling. Yeah, I've. Um, but we have only only at the uh, at the food of the um, of this uh, uh, vineyard we have um, 
We have a few younger wines and they are going to the CAY named after Karl August Immich. So that is going to the basic basic one. Then because the, the grapes are getting a little bit bigger there and I do not want to have it in, in, the, in the first wine. Yeah, yeah the next, uh, next uh, vineyard is 150 meters to the right side. It's uh, Enkircher Eller Group um, and uh, uh, oh, short look back to the battery bag. It is a gray slate soil um, and with a big amount of quartzites and uh, as you can see, a vineyard is also a cultural process. Process. It's it's um, um, you have bigger stones in it because because it is so young. And now we are coming to the to, to vineyard with the yellow group, which is uh, which we know it's it's planted uh, minimum from the beginning of the 11th century. And and uh, there you, there we are more in the blue slate soil and have very have much much smaller smaller pieces of uh, of stone. And that is often uh, the most elegant uh, wine in the range um, of the winery. Do you think that, that, when does that elegance start to show? I mean, uh, is that from bottling or does it take a while in bottle too? Because you've been making wines there since 2009. And I guess I'm frequently drawn to the Batteriberg. I wonder if that's just because the Batteriberg is a little bit more uh, impressive in youth or I'm just dumb. That could be the other reason. Yeah, um, but no. When I, I do not, you know all the vintages in the moment, or I've uh, had yeah, uh, yeah. nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, yeah, nine, ten, eleven. Okay. Um, f yeah, for, for for me, it's this um, in the, in the uh, Ella group. There is a special kind of 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 uh, clearness and a, and a little bit uh, another structure of acidity in every year. Acidity is a little bit higher uh, than in the battery bag and that's that's for me the sign uh, for the allergen. Also another structure of uh, minerality, not so aggressive. Uh -huh. uh, the battery bag has, is a little bit more ma masculine, aggressive uh, minerality and, and, so, and uh, the uh, Ella group is a little bit softer yeah, uh, in yeah, in the style. And you make a couple other because the Batteriberg is a monopole of a, a larger vineyard, and then you make a bottling from that vineyard as well. Is that is that true? Uh, the Batteriberg is a monopole surrounded by the Zepfingert. Got it. Yeah, and um, we it's make very difficult for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, so that is Enkircher Zepfingert. Then it's. When you when we step back from the butter from the Ella group, we, we have to go one or meters back to the left side and uh, um, on the directly uh, at the border to our battery back, we have um, uh, eight terraces um, uh, of uh, very old wines. Uh, yeah, uh, that's the smallest uh, vineyard we have, and uh, it's very exp also very expressive and very. Uh, very deep uh, that are very deep wines uh, of this something part. So these are terraces that you really can't work with uh, machine or even with horse. Uh, old old school terraces, and and actually the, the there has been no phylloxera in this area too. Is that correct? Yes, 
um, it would, uh, would not be good for the horses to work on it. <laughs> no, they, they would fall down and it's, um, no, and uh, it's, it's really steep. So, so the, the main parts of all these uh, vineyards we have, uh, uh, which we bottle as a single vineyard wines are minimum 60% uh, steepness and um, mainly in the middle part around 100% steepness. And um, and so so everything is done done by hand. We do not have a tractor for driving in the in the vineyard, uh, in the winery. So mm. also for, for also for basic wine, also we we do not have uh, we have we do not have flat vineyards uh, in the winery. And and when the grapes get to the the cellar, uh, you mentioned that the previous ownership had done a little bit more modern stainless steel style. What what do you do uh, with the grapes when they go to the cellar? Yeah, so we are we are picky, picking in in small buckets, and and then uh, uh, the first decision is uh, how long skin contact will be, and um, yeah, it depends a little bit on the wine uh, where where these uh, grapes are going to, and uh, also uh, to the to the vintage, uh, but. Uh, I can say uh, for the CAY, it's between three and 12 hours uh, skin contact. And uh, for the, uh, yeah, f uh, for the single, single vineyard wines for the cruise, it's, it's between uh, maybe 12 and uh, 18 hours often. So, so that is a general uh, word, but, but um, I have, I decided uh, in every harvest day, new and and watches with, with the grapes and what's the situation and uh, yeah. And then you age in Fudra, like uh, for no, we um, then uh, yeah. Then after this, uh, after pressing, we have a, a, a very short uh, sedimentation, um, and it's uh, often only three hours, three hours up to twelve hours. So I let let the. Uh, uh, let's uh, juice really dirty, so as as you can say, um, and um, and then I make a decision: is this going to a stainless steel uh, tank for uh, fermentation, or is it going to uh, to a barrel? But uh, we are uh, not using the old st uh, style fooder mm. barrels in the winery. Um, the reason for this is uh, a more practical reason. Uh, because uh, mainly I, I do the, uh, um, uh, after the after we we took the winery over um, all the barrels uh, we found in the wineries were rotten and it was uh, uh, yeah and, and we need uh, we need uh, yeah a quick solution uh, with new barrels and um, and. I wanted to work definitely for with barrels for for the for the uh, cruise, um, and so uh, Marcus Molitor um, um, gives us old older barracks from him, which he's working with Pinot Blanc um, before and. Um, yeah, and and uh, I think that that was a good decision. And anyway, the wines have the structure to hold the smaller barrels, and they are not new. So, the, for example, in the eleventh uh, vintage, the youngest uh, barrel now is, uh, was uh, nine years old. So, so it's it's not influenced by wood. It's only the micro oxidation a little bit and the structure which uh, would give. But but there are. Um, 
there there are totally other wines uh, uh, in from the barrel than than from the stainless steel. And mm. what's your approach to the lees? Oh, how do you handle that? Like the sedimentation, do you leave it in contact with the juice for an extended period of time? Yeah, it's uh, it's no, it's it's, it's uh, all the f uh, all the bottlings are totally surly, so so one hundred percent surly. It's very seldom that I rack um, a barrel uh, before, so so they are they are staying to uh, on the total yeast uh, for the full time, so uh, filling uh, bottling for for the for the um, basic stuff. It's it mainly around the fifteen of May and uh, for the bigger wines it's it's the end the end of August first of uh, first week of September and um, yeah and uh, they, they stay in the barrel they ferment until this time so then 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 I make a very uh, late uh, uh, suffering uh, often only a few days before bottling and uh, also then uh, uh, only one f uh, filtration and does that mean that if you don't rack that you have a different or what is your approach to carbon dioxide gas i guess would be the question i'd have if you're not racking do you leave the do you use the carbonic gases as a protective element on the wine or how do you yeah it, it stays in it um okay so so in in, in the barracks are a small barrels so, so there is a big amount of going out um but but um but everything which which is in it so it's going to the bottle clear so it goes into the bottle and so there might be a little uh dissolved uh carbon dioxide gas in the bottle so yeah, it might a, be a perception of spirits. some some natural gases uh, often in it yeah but it be belongs also to the to the uh, to the vintage a little bit um how the, the gas is holding in in, uh, in the liquid so. And and you use wild yeast like in native yeast. So do you get a bit of a sponty character sometimes? Yeah, uh, definitely uh, I, I get. But but it's it's uh, um, it's not so hard in in, uh, in our winery because I'm working a little bit more oxidative, and and so you do not do not have uh, these extreme what what this stinky nose. Um, yeah, but but definitely you can can smell it that the wines are. Spontaneous fer uh, fermented, and uh, uh, and we make it really uh, really strict. So every barrel start by itself. So I I never uh, give um, a starting culture from one barrel to another, for example, or something. So every barrel has to start for itself. So cause for me that is the idea of spontaneous uh, fermentation um, uh, to have a wide range of. Uh, uh, of structures uh, in the different wines, and so this is all then coming together uh, with the different barrels. So, for example, maybe the maybe the uh, battery bag uh, is twelve barrels, for example, and then it's coming uh, together and, and brings the uh, uh, the structure and the complexity I want to have. And with the finished wines, I mean, how should I be as a consumer? How should I be consuming those wines? Uh, what is the suggested time that you would recommend that I age a bottle of the different vineyard sites before I drink it? It belongs a little bit to the vintage. Um, maybe we have a short look on the 2011. 2011 is a is a vintage which uh, which is at the most a very a very balanced vintage, and uh, it uh, opens up 
uh, very early, so it was n not so complicated. And, and so it's it starts showing very well up from November um, last year, and um, at, it's also showing very well in the moment. But I'm sure it will close uh, uh, in a short in a short time because that's the normal way um, the wines are going. And uh, for example, the the 2009s are uh, uh, pretty close in the moment and uh, need need much air uh, to to come back. 2010 is running also well. Uh, you can can uh, taste them better. Um, no, and uh, but that is not only a style of our uh, winery. That is uh, that's also a Mosul um, uh, type. So you have these fresh uh, fruit face and um, a clear, uh, f more fruity face, and and then the wines are going a little bit down, and you think, oh, it's getting a little bit boring, and uh, this paper taste a little bit, and uh, yeah, and then coming back, and mainly the 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 worst years of for high class Mosul wine is between three and seven years old. I so, see. Yeah. Mm. And what has the reception been like in the market for your wines? I mean, how have they been received? There's been some, through no really relation to you, but there's been some changes in importation in the US market. I wonder from your point of view, how, how have you seen the wines received in Germany and globally? Yeah, um, I think we had a really, really good start, and uh, yeah, landed in a in a bunch of very high class wine shops um, all over the world, and uh, yeah, and and uh, show showing with the best wines of the world, and um, yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, people people were curious about the wines and and talking about it, and um, so we we were very successful with the beginning of the winery. And uh, yeah, and it was a good start here. We start here with the uh, at the U.S. market with Mosul wine merchant, um, thanks to Lars Karlberg and and Dan Malia. Um, yeah, and and this business stopped, and, and then we uh, yeah started directly with uh, Louis Dresner selection, and uh, I think it's definitely a, a high class place to be for the U.S. market. And how have your peers received your wines within Germany? Um, have they caused any kind of a fluster or uh, are you recognized in the, because there are several magazines and German wine press uh, seems pretty vibrant. Uh, what uh, what has been the reaction? Uh, I think in, in Germany, but that's, that's not very seldom. In Germany, uh, um, it was okay, I, I can say, but but it's uh, the international uh, view was was a little bit better, uh, definitely better than, than than the German market. But it has also to to uh, to do how how the uh, how the um, German press market is a little bit uh, arranged, you can say. And it, mm. it it seems you share that characteristics that I see in a lot of great winemakers, which is that you seem to know. <coughs> Ah, bless you. Exactly what you're about at the same time you're willing to have experiments for your own uh, knowledge. Like you're curious, but at the same time you have a very clear idea of what you want to do. I mean, I guess my question is, how did you get there? Because it wasn't necessarily, I mean, you, you did say that the dry wines are popular in the German market. Uh, and we have seen other people like Keller uh, achieve a lot of fame with dry wines, but I mean, how did you decide that this was really your thing? And I and I should say you also have made Auslesa before and and such. But I mean, how did you really know that that's what you wanted to do in in Einkirk? 
Um, I think I, I really do what what uh, what I like to taste. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, so so and and what what I like uh, what I like to to drink and and uh, uh, yeah and and uh, for for me, great wines are allergen structures wines with a high enough natural acidity, what is very important for me, because so so many acidities now coming out of a great sack and uh, um, uh, yeah and and. Um, and that is that is uh, what what I'm looking for, and, and uh, also these these extreme poor slate soil uh, vineyards are able to to bring these out, and um, and that's that's what I wanted to show, and and as I said told, it, it's it's what I like to drink t- uh, too, and what I'm uh, what I was uh, what I'm searching for. And uh, you do have contracts with other areas for some of the blended bottlings that you make at the lower end. Um, are, are those contacts that you made during the the time that you were consulting as a vineyard consultant, or how did that come about? And what do you see those adding to the blend? Yeah, it's. Um, I think this this are contacts from my whole time at the Mosul. So I started at the Mosul in ninety one, and then going away for studying, but then. Uh, starting again at the beginning of '97, so so I have great c- contacts there, and uh, yeah, uh, I was searching for 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 the uh, for the entry level, also for very fine, uh, good acidity holding uh, f- uh, soils, and um, uh, often not not the hottest uh, soils, more. Often uh, high class side valleys uh, like the um, Oberemmler Altenberg, where is uh, a hectare um, of ungrafted wines coming from, and also the uh, Drona Hofberg, which is now well known because sure. of uh, Andre- Andreas Adams, sure. uh, who, who's making a gr- really great job for me, one of the best uh, wine producer uh, now at the Mosul Valley. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I'm proud to have also yeah all the grapes from from these great places. And and uh, and it's for the con- consumer, um, the situation is very good because they are going to the basic wine. Um, now uh, and that has uh, also a little bit uh, to do with the situation at the Moses because many many of the producers uh, are selling their wines to the open market uh, to the salary market and do not get uh, good prices uh, which they can live from uh, uh, from the big salaries so so for them it's attractive uh, to work with us getting getting a little bit better prices and uh, yeah and we have really great stuff uh, to work with and you do uh, for Imic. You mostly it's all Riesling, right? You don't make ninety-eight percent Riesling, and there is one small hobby vineyard, uh, Pinot Noir. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It, that it's one. not. Uh, it's not. Not. Uh, it's not on the US market. Uh, so if you come to the Mosul, yeah, you can taste it too. <laughs> and Th- three barriques a year. So you do uh, make Chardonnay from Rinca. Uh, so I guess what I would ask you is, what what is it like? What is what is distinctive about Riesling, like from your perspective? I mean, obviously, a lot of people might have their own ideas, but you know, this is a great variety that you work with from different sites. What do you think Riesling really brings to the table that maybe Chardonnay doesn't, or vice versa? Uh-huh. 
I'm not so in these grape variety stuff. Um, I'm interested in places where wine is coming from, and I think there are grape varieties running on a place and others not, and uh, and on another place uh, the opposite. And uh, um, and so the decision with this Rinke uh, vineyard directly at the Luxembourg border, which is a very poor. Uh, nearly white, uh, chalky Cameridian soil, and um, and that was definitely also from the climate situation there. That was definitely the, the place for Chardonnay, um, and uh, to to uh, yeah to keep it elegant and and uh, and and. Uh, anyway, it, it's not 100% Chardonnay. This wine is only one. It's a one wine winery, and and, and the wine is made in the Imich uh, cellar, and. Um, um, yeah, but but it's it's good ninety percent Chardonnay, and there are a few uh, few wines of Viognier, a few wines of uh, Pinot Blanc, a few wines of uh, Tramina, few few wines uh, uh, of uh, Pinot Noir going uh, in it too. Um, yeah, and as I say, it's uh, for me the place. Um, the place shows the wine, and uh, you have to find the right gra uh, grape variety for it. So, and uh, also uh, with the, it's now starting a little bit of riesling hype, um, and I see that many people plant riesling, for example, and I see it from Australia, I see it from California, and um, I taste many things, and uh, and I'm off, I'm not. I think it's not often not very interesting to taste it and uh, and so um, um people are working often with the grape varieties like a brand because people uh, are uh, able to learn it very quickly so they learn the word chardonnay they learn the word riesling they learn the word cabernet sauvignon or merlot and then they uh, then they knew what they have to buy uh and um, but that is that is not not my view on on, on winemaking and 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 great vineyards. Hmm. And let me ask you, where it seems that you, you're of a generation that has drunk broadly from global sources, and where are other uh, parts that your heart has uh, led you in terms of wines that you enjoy from other parts of the world, whether they be white or red or or any color? Yeah, the uh, I can definitely say the main. Uh, uh, the main other influence out of the Mosul is coming from Burgundy, and uh, um, yes, that's that's a yeah big hobby for me. I'm often there, friends there, and uh, uh, I like to be there, and also. Uh, yeah, li like this focus uh, on on these nice, very small plots and uh, many different wines, and uh, yeah, that's really interesting and uh, amazing stuff. And and also you find there what I said also to the white wines, you find elegant, um, uh, focused uh, and structured wines, and and uh, that's what I'm searching for. And and sometimes also uh, with uh, not added <laughs> acidity and. Uh, nowadays, it's getting more and more, but uh, but there are many left. Um, yeah, and I like this like this uh, very much. But also the Northern Rhone, uh, some some Loire producers. Um, you see, I'm a little bit more on the north side, sitting uh, and uh, more in this the natural acidity uh, side. Yeah. 
And let me ask you, I mean, your estate is fairly small. It's five hectares of vines, which is about 11, 12 mm -hmm. acres of planted vines. You have to work it all by hand. Uh, no machinery, no horses. It's terraced. Uh, there's cover crops. I mean, the wines don't sell for a ton of money, maybe because they're not super well known. I mean, they sell for a good amount, but not like, oh my God, prices. Mm -hmm. Is that an economic proposition? I mean, does that make sense? Does that work out at the end of the day? Or is it something that you're really going to need other people to hear more about the wine so that the prices can go up at some point to make it work? I mean, it just seems like that's a lot of manual labor with not a lot of volume. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the prices aren't that high. So how does that work out? Or are you just fabulously wealthy? If I may ask, no, no, <laughs> we are definitely not. No, the the um, yeah, the situation is is. Uh, the, I think the main problem is that the yields are so extremely low, and um, for example, now we have after this very small 2010 vintage, now the 2012 vintage also with uh, lower than 25 hectoliters per hectare. And in the average over the years, we have around 35 uh, hectoliters per hectare over the whole uh, winery. Yeah, we have to grow. That's uh, definitely uh, that's uh, definitely important uh, for the future. So, um, yeah, so development is good, but but uh, we have to develop uh, further. Yeah. And how do you like the wines to be drunk in terms of? I mean, if I weren't drinking, uh, excuse me, if I weren't eating. German food, like you would find there, if I weren't having uh, sausages, what what works well with the wines that you make? <laughs> oh, that's not so easy because they are so different from vintage to vintage. And um, uh, I just yeah, ask, uh, yeah, I, a lot of times people here are like, oh, off dry Riesling with, with Chinese food. It's yeah, a very common thing, but your wines aren't off dry. So where do I? Yeah, sometimes they are off dry, but, but, uh, but it's. Um, uh, but I often do not like it really because mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. sometimes uh, for me the spicy with a little bit sugar um, I'm not so uh, uh, yeah I'm, I'm not so in it uh, so so for for me uh, my wines are going more with the fish and uh, uh, and ch uh, chicken chicken side but uh, also without food anyway um, and <laughs> yeah but. Um, but that said, I would uh, more more classical. I would would say more this uh, classical food. Not too. You can drink it also with extremely spicy stuff. But but uh, uh, now that then the taste is close and uh, yeah, it's, it's not not so uh, combination seems not so uh, good for me. Cause, cause uh, one one main point for me also with the with the wine making and wine uh, growing is, is to have really balanced wines. I, I do not want to um, want to go in these uh, expressive uh, extremes and uh, uh, and and uh, yeah and and that's maybe against also these uh, more extreme uh, uh, spicy stuff to eat with. No? Mm. And what do you see as the future of the winery? I mean, you've achieved a lot at a fairly young age. You you had a great run of vintages at Van Volkslum that were winery-defining, I think, for that winery. Uh, you did some consulting work. You made some outstanding bottles for people like Knebel. Uh You did... You you purchased a, a winery that dates back to medieval times and has incredible vine material. All of this seems to have happened 
uh, in fairly short order from your deciding, hey, you know, I'm not so into working in the hospital. Um, I mean, what is next for a guy who seems to uh, move along at a fairly brisk pace? We have now uh, 2008 uh, Riesling uh, Brit Zero running, and um, this is a uh, this is a cuvee as it is in the, from the time before Imich Batteriberg. It's a fifty percent of it's coming from the Knebel Winery from a Winninger Ham. Oh, okay. And fifty uh, percent is coming where I also get now uh, grapes uh, uh, from from the Oberemmler Altenberg, so from the Saar Valley. So it's the two opposite sides, you can say, uh, of the uh, of the uh, Mosel region. Uh, so the, the Oberemmler Altenberg brings more the lightness in it, and uh, and the Winninger Ham a little bit the density. Yeah, and 2008 was a great vintage for for sparkling wines because it holds the acidity very very nice. Also in the uh, also in Winningen at the Terrace Mosel. Um, yeah, and was uh, three years on on the yeast, and um, and it's it's now uh, yeah it's now available and uh, it's it's apps. Absolutely, uh, absolutely, Brit Zero. Uh, no, no, no nothing, sugar added. N- uh, nothing added, and also, uh, uh, and also non-sulfured uh, stuff. And uh, I experiment with it, and, and uh, pe- people like it very much. Uh, and it's it's a little bit out out of the normal uh, fruity, very fruity German uh, sparkling uh, side. It, it's very um, has a very fine, uh, very fine. Sparkling and it's it's uh, uh, yeah it's, it's really deep um, and uh, spicy yeah I like it I like it very much but the next vintages um, we will have uh, uh, will come from the upper part of the Enkecher Eller group uh, uh, mainly and um, uh, yeah cause cause the last uh, we were uh, really alone in this part of the Eller group so so it's a very high vintage uh, it's a very high uh, vineyard and uh, the last you can say the last 80 90 meters up to the forest line um, it's totally surrounded by bushes and and forests and and uh, we will leave all the grapes every year uh, and uh, so we decided to pick it um, uh, to pick it really early and and uh, and start the sparkling from this side. So it is extremely fine um, soil, and uh, I I, uh, I think it will will be great uh, after this. I look forward to drinking a bottle. Yeah, thank you. And you've been around a lot of wines. What is your favorite drinking story? I think the the, the the best best situation, uh, the best drinking situation for me was was at a small Normandy beach uh, with the uh, cliffs very very high, chalky uh, cliffs sitting um, sit, sitting sitting with a high class champagne uh, bottle and uh, and having some some oysters at this at this beach uh, side and and uh, waiting for for uh, the sun going going up and and that's, I think that that was one of the best moments. Uh, drinking, drinking a bottle of in this time a uh, bottle of champagne. Yeah. Mm. Kenneth Coleman, thank you so much for being here today. It was mm-hmm. a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, thank you. All drink to that is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, 
and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap, are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.